Um, so this message is, uh, it is a hard one. It's week 60, I've called it Consuming the Vulnerable. <clears throat> so the other day I saw a church, I think it was a church in North Florida. They made a Facebook post on their Facebook page. They were celebrating their pastor's 40th birthday. That's nice, right? <laughs> then below was a directive that, you know, for, for pastor so-and-so's birthday, you should sow into your pastor, meaning give him money for his birthday so you can be blessed. And they had a link below, and I clicked on it, and it was an online credit card portal to give to this 40-year-old pastor's birthday fund so people could sow into their pastor. Whatever man sows, he reaps. They took this passage of sowing and reaping and just manipulated it and destroyed it. And I don't know how much money he got. I know it was more than me. But suddenly I thought, man, that's a good idea, right? Well, no, of course not. When I first saw it, it made me sick, made me angry, it made me sad. This was just like, like Monday when I'm preparing for this message. To see a person with spiritual influence and a power or authority <clears throat> allowing his church, his family, his church family to be manipulated like that, to be used like that. And we see this all the time, frankly, in organized religion. We see it on a global scale with organized religion. Global churches. We see it on a national scale with certain denominations and certain groups of churches. And sadly, we definitely see it on a local scale, even here in our area. TV preachers flying on jets. But it's not just churches and religions that have this problem. Overpaid CEOs getting filthy rich off of the charities that they run, charities that are designated and designed to help the poor and help the vulnerable in our population, and they're paying half a million dollar salaries to CEOs that run them. Politicians do it really well too, don't they? Getting wealthy off institutions that are designed to serve and protect people. This is a pervasive human depravity issue. Organizations designed to protect the vulnerable, turning the vulnerable into pawns and victims, sucking the life out of them. That's what today's passage is in Mark chapter 12, verse 38 through 44. And this is Jesus. And in Jesus' teaching, in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and light greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at feasts. Get this. Who devour widows' houses. And for a pretense, in other words, to make a show, they make long prayers. They will receive greater condemnation. And he sat down, this is after his public teaching, and he sat down opposite the treasury, and watch people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and the poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him while he's sitting down, and he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. 
For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. So this is a powerful teaching. Let's look at the history of this. I want to talk about how it was good to be a scribe in first century Israel. But they have become, frankly, a despised establishment. For generations, the people of Israel were prisoners to a massive, corrupt temple synagogue. The whole system. Prisoners culturally, spiritually, socially, politically, to all these elites in the Sanhedrin who pretended to be righteous. Everyone knew about the whole racket I've explained to you about sacrificial animals for temple worship, how you would bring your own animal and it would be declared unfit, and then, but don't worry, they can sell you one. But of course you have to pay for it in temple dollars, so whatever Roman money you had, they had a money-changing operation, a scam that would get pennies on the dollar for temple money. They knew the Sanhedrin was awash in blatant hypocrisy and corruption. But what alternative did first century Jews have? Between the Romans sanctioning them as a power and authority in that region, their cultural domination, nobody had the courage or the ability to effectively challenge them. It was happened that they tried once before about seven years earlier and they were wiped out. They had no other option but to put the spiritual welfare that they hoped for in the hands of educated, powerful, evil elites. And they were definitely in the seat of power. <clears throat> the scribes that he talks about today, we've, this is the second week now we've been discussing the scribe part of the Sanhedrin. You have the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and then you have these scribes. They were experts on the law. They were in charge of teaching the law, interpreting it, and applying the law to everyday Jewish life. They didn't just have authority over the religious application of law. But they had authority over the civil application. They had authority over cultural standards and norms, legal stuff, and financial laws and rules as well. And the scribes were there. They were supposed to be there to protect God's people, to serve them, to help them understand the way to Jehovah. But instead, what they did was they created this system of temple grifting for the Sanhedrin. A system that spared no one, including the poor and the vulnerable. A system that was designed to first meet their own needs and desires before anyone else's, including those who were the most in need. And you know, the legal whims of these scribes, whatever decision they made, could make or break you financially for the rest of your life. It could make or break you socially. It could make or break you politically. It could condemn you spiritually. They were congruently all at once professors, they were lawyers, they were judges, and they were enforcement. They had all the power. And those with the least had no choice but to listen to the rich, powerful scribes if they wanted any hope of blessing or success. You want a better life on earth? You want eternal life? You want blessing? Listen to us. We know the way. Look how blessed we are. And it went beyond the temple. You understand, it's not just, don't just think of the scribes as being in charge of the temple. They controlled everything from the synagogues to the marketplaces, anywhere people gathered. They set the rules for selling food in the marketplace, animals, even clothing. 
And they got a cut of everything for their legal services. If you wanted success financially, socially, politically, culturally, spiritually, they were the only conduit to those blessings you desired. They were in the seat of power and privilege in first century Israel, and they exploited it shamelessly. And one of the worst examples was this idea of, that Jesus calls in this passage. He calls it consuming widows. Didn't that just sound awful? It was particularly sickening how the scribes took advantage of these widows. Jesus says they consumed their whole house. What the scribes would do is they preyed on these widows, making false promises of legal protection for them now that their husband is gone, their husband is dead, we'll protect you legally, we'll protect your children, and we'll protect your estate. From older widows to younger naive widows who knew nothing, even, get this, even widows of their deceased scribe colleagues, those widows would have a lot of money. They even sucked them into this scam. There was no mercy. They charged outrageous legal fees. They even lived in the houses of the widows, consumed all their food until the widow's resources were completely gone, consuming their houses. And you know what they would do after the money's gone? Well, you still owe us for these legal fees. So they would legally confiscate the widow's house, all her possessions, and sell them or make, take them for their own to pay off the legal debt. And the widow's children, what about them? Well, they get nothing. The lawyer scribes got it all. This is what Jesus called consuming widows' houses. Worse, these now destitute widows, with very few options to provide for themselves, they continue to be scribal victims. If they sold something, if they made something or cooked it and sold it in the marketplace just to eke out a small living to get some food for the next day, they still had to give a big portion to the temple if they wanted salvation. They enter the court of women where there are dozens of boxes where you put in your temple tax. They enter and they pay their money to have a chance to reconnect with Jehovah because that's what the scribe said you had to do. Everyone knew how the widow racket worked. It was well known, and this is a key for you to remember later. So that's the history of our section. Let's look at the spiritual. What about God? What is he doing? Why and how does he do it? I want to talk about the day's final lesson. <clears throat> the first thing I want to talk about is this public condemnation. Now, understand, if you guys have been following this at all, if you've been here or watching online, this has been two long, grueling days for Jesus and his disciples in the temple. Today, this is Confrontation Wednesday still, right? You had Temple Tuesday where he cleansed the temple and said, this is my house, it'll be a house of prayer. Then you have this day where he's being confronted by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. He's been debating and teaching for hours, cleansing the, cleansing the temple the first day. That really resonated with these people. Remember, he had this big throng. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, they have been, by Jesus, on Confrontation Wednesday, exposed for what they are, fraudulent, spiritual, hypocritical leaders. And now, though, now they don't want anything to do with Jesus. They've been embarrassed. They don't want to ask him any more questions. But now he's on the offensive. He's going in for the kill with two more indictments of the Sanhedrin, particularly these scribes. First, what he does, he continues teaching after he's just embarrassed the scribes for that one more time. He turns to the crowd and he continues teaching this massive throng, calling out the pitiful facade of scribal privilege, I call it. He says, look out for these hypocrites. They're trying to deceive you. 
dressing in these long, opulent, expensive, flowing, frankly, ugly robes. They wear them in the public marketplaces. Do you know why they wear them? So you'll notice them and that you will be forced to greet them by their titles of honor. They love titles. They love being called rabbi or scribe. That's got to be like called doctor or president. And then he says, listen to their ridiculous flowery prayers. Dear God, we thank thee for thine blessing in thine area up here, there, everywhere. Amen, amen. I'm not going there. I'm not going there. I'm not going there. He says, Listen to these long, ridiculous, flowery prayers, but God isn't listening. You know what it is? Jesus says, it's all for pretense. It's a fake religious show. They take special seats of honor at all the feasts in the synagogues and the temples so that everyone can see that they're there. And how do they pay for this life, Jesus says? They pay for it by devouring widows and their houses. He says, don't worry, they're not going to receive eternal life. They're going to receive condemnation. That's the public condemnation. It's the last time Jesus teaches on these people. But then something interesting happens. After a full day of this public teaching and these conflicts, the scene abruptly, abruptly shifts and he sits down. He's sitting down with his disciples across from the treasury. And they're all people watching. And they're watching the rich people come in and drop massive amounts of money into these boxes for all to see. And then, interestingly, right after he's talked about widows' houses being consumed, he sits down across from the treasury with the disciples. It's kind of a private lesson now. And one of these consumed widows enters. She deposits two copper coins, basically what it would cost for her to get a meal. Jesus points her out to the disciples, and he explains, you see that poor widow? She gave everything she had, her whole livelihood, but the wealthy really didn't give anything. You know what the word is for gave everything, her whole livelihood? It's a fascinating word. It is the word. Uh, you guys can make sure that clicks over. It's not clicking there. There we go. Bios. It's biology. It means life, but this is an interesting word. There are lots of words for life in the Greek language. <clears throat> this one means the means of existence, literally the means of how you make a living or a livelihood. It means how, this is the way, the bios means how someone is going to survive day to day in the world. And I looked for all the ways in the New Testament that the word life is translated. You know, it talks about eternal life. And things like that, Jesus giving up his life, all those, those weren't the word bios. This is a different use. It occurs about seven or eight times, and it's always having to do with the means of how to survive physically in the world. Isn't that fascinating? Bios, life. Jesus says she has given everything that she would need to exist. But we know it wasn't really given. It wasn't an offering. It's been taken from her. Like I said, there are literally three dozen places in the Old Testament, starting in Exodus, about taking care of widows. It's not an obscure teaching, right? Yet the scribes, these experts on the law, seriously, egregiously 
repetitively violate this command about taking care of the vulnerable, particularly widows. They did not just neglect the widows. They devoured them. They took everything they had, leaving them with nothing. Scribes living opulently by taking the bios from these widows, the very living that the vulnerable needed. Instead of coming to the temple with joy to receive what they needed, these widows, particularly this consumed one, she came in fear. Her last penny ripped from her fingers. Let's talk about the person. I want to talk about a place of bios. This was the uh, uh, social media campaign, the sermon preview I put up this week. Giving till it hurts isn't taught in the Bible, but warnings about taking till it hurts certainly are. See, many see this about the widow's might. That's what it's called, the story of the widow's might. You know, she gave more than the rich because they, she gave out till it hurt, and they gave out of their abundance. Many see this as a teaching about how we're supposed to give till it hurts, and that is 100% wrong. Jesus, listen carefully, Jesus in no way is glorifying what the widow gave. As a matter of fact, you know what he's really doing? He's mourning it. He's sad that she has lost her bios. Dead religion has killed and devoured her living. It's exposure of corruption. A lesson for his disciples about how the church should be, how its leaders should be in the, in the years to come. Because what he's seeing, showing us here is there's this, there's this idea of religious privilege, and we see this many times in the church today. How did this temple system become so corrupt, you ask? Well, it's because of unredeemed, selfish people who ran it. And Jesus says at the very end, they will receive condemnation. Philippians chapter 2, 3 through 4, here's what Paul says. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, self-love, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Look at verse 4. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. See this concept that Paul taught, looking out for other people, making them just as important as you, was wholly foreign to these scribes, and frankly, the whole Sanhedrin. The scribes had no idea, get this, the scribes had no idea how to put the needs of others before their own. Their needs always came first. They are the elites. The people who are privileged. As a matter of fact, other people are privileged to even be in their company. Generosity and compassion was completely foreign to these men. They saw the temple as their house, not God's house. They saw it as a tool for taking what they believed they were entitled to. But you know what's interesting is the New Testament church really took... This is a fascinating story, right? Because this is like one little scene. After Jesus has been teaching all day, he sits down across from the treasury and he teaches on this widow's might thing. And apparently the New Testament church knew it wasn't about giving because they took this quite seriously. This private lesson apparently left a huge impression on the disciples because it actually echoes throughout the New Testament. Did you know that? 
Great care by the first century church was taken to assure something like that, the widows being devoured, would never happen in the first century church. As a matter of fact, there's a few places. I'm not going to put them up there. I'm just going to... Acts chapter 6, verse 1, the whole church realized we need to reorganize our structure, our organization, because we see that Gentile widows are being neglected over Jewish ones. So they rearranged it, and they, they appointed these men called deacons who were responsible to make sure that everybody was served fairly and equitably and correctly. In Acts chapter 9, verse 39, there were indications that what the church would do is they would take these widows and they would care for them all together corporately, intentionally, even in large groups. The church would collect broken, hurting widows and making sure they had air. Not only did they have stuff to eat and place to stay, but they had fellowship and family. In James chapter 1, verse 27, James, the brother of Jesus, teaches that true followers of Jesus Christ, those who really know Christ, will be sure that they always protect the vulnerable. He says, true religion is this, to protect the orphans and the widows. They would be certain, the first century church, how they handled this widow issue would set them completely apart from the corrupt, disgusting temple. The church was not taking bios. The church was giving it. It's the same way for us today. The church has to take this charge seriously as it relates to the vulnerable. Now that doesn't mean, but you care not you? That doesn't mean that the church should let itself be taken advantage of. As a matter of fact, Paul warned in 1 Timothy 5 of a whole new system because what was happening is people saw the generosity of the church when it came to widows, so a lot of people pretended to be widows. They came to say, yeah, yeah, I lost uh, four husbands. So, you know. And, 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 Tim, and what Paul does, he says, listen, when that happens, here's the new structure to make sure, yes, take care of them, but the ones who are of this age, who have this ability or these things, do not, those, they, they are not actually the widows we're trying to watch out for. He said, don't let them come in and destroy your righteousness with their selfishness. So there is warning about making sure because the church was so careful to make sure widows were taken care of, people would take advantage of it. Paul says, nah, we're not letting that happen. And I want to talk about our first priority. As I said earlier, you know, this is not about a story about how we should give. It's not a lesson on moralism and how to be good in helping the poor. As a matter of fact, it's not a, role, it's not a story about the role of church in any social justice, although we have talked about that last week and in weeks past that we have a responsibility there. Did you know this is not even primarily a teaching about caring for widows necessarily, though that is certainly a practical application for the larger point. No, there is something that is much deeper, far more troubling it requires far greater focus in this passage than just providing for widows. See, the widows is a picture that is used for emphasis that Jesus is saying, this is an example of what dead religion does. Don't let it happen. What you should do is be the opposite. It's about far more than money. Actually, the lesson we're supposed to learn is connected to the gospel. It's connected to the heart, the very heart. Of Jesus. And what is that heart? Luke 19:10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's the heart of Jesus. That should be the heart of the church. 
So I'm going to put one more verse up for you. It's my last slide of the day, but it'll be up there for a little bit. And I'm going to read this to you. It's a fascinating verse. John, 1 John chapter 3, 16 and 17. We preached on this when we went through the, the epistles of John. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? You know why this verse is fascinating? See the word life in the first part? That's different. That's not bios. That's the soul. Jesus says, he says by this we know that, we lay, that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brother. So that's, that's different than bios. But you know what is bios? This word, world, the world's goods. But if anyone has the world's bios. Isn't that fascinating? If anyone has the world's living. If anyone has what they need to survive in the world and sees a brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? See, just as the temple was supposed to be a safe place for the wounded and the vulnerable people to connect with God, that is exactly the teaching that Jesus Christ is giving his disciples. That's what the church should be. A sacrificial conduit of tremendous grace and mercy And as we say around here, surprising generosity. Look, this was obviously a particularly important instruction Jesus gave his disciples. We know that because we see how seriously they took it, right? And if you, I'll say even further, we don't take it seriously. You know what we are? We are the scribes putting our needs before the vulnerable. And like the scribes who Jesus says received condemnation, John teaches us that if the love of Christ is an us, and it doesn't manifest itself by people who have the world's living and give it to those in need, if that doesn't happen, you know what? We will receive the condemnation one day too because the love of Jesus is not in us. And this isn't something, this, this idea that I'm sharing with you, this isn't something the church should work on someday. A future priority once we get our financial ducks in a row. First, you know, make sure your pastor is paid or your staff is paid. Then we got to make sure that we have for the good show on Sunday morning, really top-notch AV equipment. We have to get a big, attractive, beautiful building. Those things cost money. Once we get that coming, the money will be rolling in. Then we can help the poor. You know what else? It's not even, this, this thing I'm talking about, it's not even secondary to building a really good children's ministry so we can attract young, vibrant families. We need them and we want them. Those things are important. There's nothing wrong with all those things I just shared. But they have to be secondary. Because all those things, those are our own organizational needs. And we cannot, we can never allow them to be put before the heart of Jesus. There's nothing wrong with those things. We want a good children's ministry. We want good equipment. We want good sound. We want good worship experience. All those things. But listen to me, church. They are not the first priority. The church's first priority is to be a place. Listen to me. It is to be a place for the vulnerable. A place for the broken to find what? Bios. Not a place that it's sucked out of them. 
The true church will give bios, not consume it. It is first to be a place of love and rescue. I've kind of titled it with the Nightlife Center. Our little slogan is hope when times get dark. That's what the church is supposed to be. The church must be a place where its people put the needs of the vulnerable first, not like the scribes who did the opposite. The church must be an expression in its budget, in its schedule, in its ministries of God's passion to love and care and be a source for bios to the lost and the vulnerable. Question for you. Don't answer out loud, just answer in your head. What do your priorities in your own life say about how seriously you take this lesson on a personal level? I mean, after all, that's what Jesus did for you when you were like the widow. He gave up his bios so that you might have life more abundantly. Don't we want to be like Jesus? Heavenly Dad, we pray that you would keep us from being consumers of bios, that we will be givers of it. Lord, we want to be a place where the vulnerable, the hurting, the wounded, see a place of hope when times get dark, a beacon. Lord, we also need to have wisdom to make sure we're not taken advantage of, but God, we pray that we would continue with our ministries in our budgets, in our schedules, to live out the core value of surprising generosity. Generosity that provides living, that provides bios, that provides things that people need when they're destitute. Because Lord, if we can't even do that, if we have the world's goods and can't give them to someone who is in need, then the love of Christ is surely not in us and we are nothing better than the scribes. Help us to make this our top priority. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, thank you so much. I appreciate it for those of you guys watching online on Facebook and YouTube. We love you. If you need anything, let us know. We've got your back. We've got some phone calls we're going to make to some of you this week. Uh, and it's so good to see you guys here today. Have a great week. Oh, and by the way, Megan said I was allowed to do this. Megan gave me permission. The Bucks won, so I'm allowed to say go Bucks. <laughs> right? Amen. Have a great week. Thank you. <laughs>